Good morning again. Can you hear me? All right, cool. Very good. All right, so today uh, I'm excited because uh, we are starting a new series uh, called The Most Excellent Way. Um, it's going to be based out of, in 1 Corinthians 13, and just full disclosure, I am double dipping here. This is the entire theme for camp this next week. I wrote this, yeah, um, this is something that's kind of been on my heart for about two years, um, not necessarily in, intentionally, but I was just reading through 1 Corinthians, and I came to this section right before 1 Corinthians 13, and I love the way that Paul kind of sets everything up. He says, yet there is the most excellent way, and I said, wow, that sounds like a really cool camp t-shirt. Honestly, I was thinking Bill and Ted's most excellent adventure or something cool like that. Um, the most excellent way just stood out to me. And uh, we're going to get it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right, Chuck. We're, we're getting some air guitar. You guys can't see that. That's behind them. Uh, anyway, um, but our entire series is going to be based in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And I promise we're going to get there eventually. But today I wanted to set the scene and kind of give us an idea of where we're going to go to and where we have been before we get to the place where we're going to go. Because when we think about 1 Corinthians 13, I guarantee for some of you, the first thing that comes to your mind is weddings, right? The love chapter of the New Testament, right? Where you see the bride and the groom, they're looking longingly into each other's eyes and they say, I love you like this love is talking about. And I think that's a great place for it. You should absolutely talk about love when you were at a wedding. But I think these verses have so much more to give us than just the love between a husband and a wife. I think there is a wealth, a depth of knowledge, a depth of feeling and, and love that's being expressed here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that we kind of need to reclaim as not just a wedding ceremony verse, but an entire life outlook and perspective. But like I said, we're going to get to 1 Corinthians eventually, but today we're going to kind of set the scene a little bit. But before we get there, I want to ask you to think about this for a minute. Think of a time you had to change your mindset in order to change your situation. Okay? Think of a time you had to change your mindset in order to change your situation. For me, um, a lot of things came to my mind. Uh, but the one that really came to my mind and stuck out to me was uh, every single summer when I was in Mississippi, I would take a group of teenagers to the jungles of Panama, basically. We'd go up in these mountains, and we'd go to this church, and we'd serve these people, and we'd play with the kids, and we'd do these, all these service projects and stuff. It was a great, great opportunity. I know a lot of you have been to Honduras and done similar things like that. Uh, but we would do our work a lot of times. We'd go to the river a lot of times. And then at night, it always seemed that we would end up playing soccer. And... I would like to think that I'm a pretty athletic person. I'm pretty good at games. I'm pretty good at sports. I'm good at picking up things pretty quickly. Uh, if it's a new game, I can usually get it pretty well. But I guarantee you there's not a game I'm worse at than soccer. I'm absolutely terrible at soccer. I have a couple pictures here. Um, so when we would play in Panama, there, was, there wasn't a paved road. You can kind of see it's, it's, a, it's a dirt road, a lot of rocks, and you're on the side of a mountain. So one team has a better advantage than the other team, right? Uh, the ball is going downhill pretty rapidly, uh, one side. And so I, I played along, and a few of our students are actually in this picture are, are pretty good at soccer. And I will tell you that they were good at soccer, but these little Panamanian kids were amazing at soccer. We're on the side of this mountain. They're wearing basically these, these Crocs on their feet with no straps in the back, and they're just crossing me up like crazy. Like I said, I like to think that I'm a pretty athletic person when it comes to every other sport, but if you have me kicking a ball with my feet, it's not a good option. So what I opted to do was to change my mind. 
So you see me standing there. I'm all-time goalie, okay? I don't run around. Uh, at first, I tried to keep pace. Um, I tried to keep pace with all these kids, uh, all these teenagers. Some adults are out there playing with us. And there was one time where I was trying so hard, I was sweating. I'm covered in sweat. I'm covered in dirt. I'm diving all over the place. I'm bloody. And then I realized, I got to stop this. Uh, I got to start playing goalie. And as you can see, that's me playing goalie. And then there's another picture of me playing goalie. <laughs> that was what I wanted to do. Uh, I just did not care to be running around and just getting crossed over like that. And I just was like, you know what, I'm just going to have fun from here on out. This is not a sporting event. This is a fun event for me. And I'm just going to enjoy my time. And I actually had to steal this position from a little girl who, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be goalie. You go play. And she's like, no, I'm the goalie. I'm like, no, you're not anymore. Like, you go play. Uh, but it, it's, it was so much fun. I, I say that it, it was just so much fun to be out there and playing. But for me, I had really had to change my perspective in order to have a good time. It was no longer about playing this game. It was about having fun with these kids. You know, I, I'm, I'm fairly competitive. I don't get overly competitive, I don't think. But in these moments, I was like, it's just about fun. It's just about being present and being here. And maybe you're thinking of a certain situation in your life. Another thing that came to my mind is when traveling with children, you must change your mindset in order to change your situation a lot of the time. I was talking to Debbie, I think Debbie's probably working back there, but Debbie was telling me about her recent travel excursions and all the flight delays and cancellations, and she kind of was just like, it is what it is. And I was like, I know that feeling all too well. Traveling with kids is a really, really tedious task at times, right? Give them the snacks, give them the... the TV, whatever it takes so that you're not loud and obnoxious, take it, right? Change your mindset to change your situation. And so there's a lot of things that we could probably talk about in this way. And I, and I, and I want to say that I think changing our mindset is not only necessary in these types of environments, but it's very, very necessary with our spiritual lives as well. We have to change our mindset in order to see how God might be shaping and directing us as we grow and mature in our lives. Our mindsets cannot stay the same from the day that we're baptized to the day that we die. There must be a shift, there must be a change so that our mindset does not stagnate and does not grow into something else. We must change our minds when necessary. And I think Paul is inviting us in this text in 1 Corinthians 13 to change our mind and our perceptions of love. To totally change our minds and perceptions of love. And in this context, if you were to turn your page backwards in 1 Corinthians 13 to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul just got done talking about all these great spiritual gifts that the church has. He talks about the importance of each one. He uses a metaphor that you're probably familiar with, talking about the eye and the hand and all these different things come together to form the body. And there's not one part of the body that's more important or more functional than the other. They have to work in unison, right? Nod your heads if you're with me. You've heard this before, right? There's this necessity for the body to work in unity. And he talks about all these things, but not only the fact that we have all these great gifts, but there is a way in which we're supposed to use these gifts. Not for the glorification of self, but for the glorification of Christ. To use the gifts that God has given us, not for the sake of making us seem greater, but to show and, and experience love in the world and be the hands and feet of Christ. And as I'm hearing these things, as I'm reading these things in 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13, I kind of get this sense that there is an overarching thing that we have to kind of be aware of. 
And it's this, we cannot give to others what we do not have ourselves. We cannot give to others what we do not have ourselves because we can have all these great gifts and we can do all these great things, but if we do them for selfish reasons, we're not actually, you know, getting the kingdom of God in this world. We're getting the kingdom of us more and more entrenched in this world. And what Paul is trying to get us to do is to change our mindset to say, hey, you have these gifts, but you must do them with love. And guess what? If you do not have this love, you're not going to be able to give it to other people. These spiritual gifts that you have, these things, they might be fantastic of themselves, but if you're not doing them with love, you're not really doing them at all. We cannot give to others what we do not have ourselves. This is actually true of everything, right? I cannot give you money that I do not have. I cannot give you, you know, things, physical things that I do not have. It's even more and more important when we talk about spiritual things because there is a sense that a lot of us, probably in this room, have grown up in the church. We have these understandings of spiritual principles. We can seem spiritual. We can do all the right things to seem a certain way. But if we don't do it with love, we're trying to give other people things that we do not have ourselves. We talk about wanting to be a light to the world, but if that light is not within us, we have no ability to give it to other people. We're just going through the motions, showing up in a place every single Wednesday or Sunday and just existing. If we do not have this light, if we do not have this love within us, we are trying to give to others what we do not have ourselves. And I, I want to be clear, this is just an intro, and I want to emphasize this morning the need to change our minds, to, to see what God is pouring into us and where he's directing us. And the thing is, is that a lot of times in our lives, we don't have any other options. Sometimes we're confronted with the reality where, hey, you're going to have to change the way you do things. But there are other times where we, like I said before, stagnate. We just do the things we've always done. But this morning, I want to focus on this changing of mind with the story of Peter. We're, we're pretty familiar with Peter, I believe. And we're going to look at three things within the life of Peter that happened to him that I think explains this idea of changing our mind to change our situation. Three things that happened in the life of Peter that help him recognize where God is guiding him to go. Three, three kind of different waves that are going to go through Peter's life is there's a time of ignorance, there's a time of stark reality, and then there's a time of reconciliation. And I know that we just did a whole series on reconciliation, so you're familiar with that word. There's a time of ignorance, reality, and reconciliation. All pointing in the direction of him changing his mind to where God is leading him to go. And I promise this all has to do with 1 Corinthians 13 as well. And I want to be careful not to be critical of Peter in this way, but I want to look at these verses and see how this shaped his trajectory and where he was going in his life. So we're going to be in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look at me and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. <clears throat> Excuse me. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, I am going. You, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. 
Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And now, not to be, again, I don't want to be critical of Peter. An extremely zealous disciple, an extremely loving friend to Jesus, right? A physical friend to Jesus. And he's hearing these things that Jesus is presenting to him and saying, I've been with you thus far. Why can't I go where you're going? Have I not shown through my admiration and my devotion to you that I'm willing to do anything for you, Jesus? And he says, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. And Jesus kind of questions him with his ignorance. And I I know we use that word today kind of in a negative way, but I want to look at it as ignorance, as the simplicity of you don't know what you're talking about, right? We say ignorance is bliss sometimes because you don't know the ramifications of something that might happen later on. Peter is just ignorant to what's going to happen. Even though Jesus has talked about it several times, Peter is still ignorant as to what exactly is going to happen. So from his lens where he's living today, I will follow you wherever you go, Jesus. I will even die for you because this is the set of circumstances I've been presented with. I am always with you. And Jesus confronts that ignorance and says, you don't know what you're talking about, Peter. Will you lay down your life for me? And then he kind of gives them the reality of what's going to happen here. And what I want to kind of see is, is side by side, I'm curious as to if this Peter, this day, could have gone and preached the sermon at Pentecost. I don't think he could have, right? I do not think Peter in this place is ready to baptize the thousands at Pentecost because he's not ready for what Jesus has not, has not yet done in his life, Right? He, does, he has the passion, he has the zeal, he has all the things that you want in someone who's going to do something incredible for you, but he has not had the experience yet to change his mind to ultimately shift the entire trajectory of his life. So this is where Peter is in a state of ignorance. If we don't dig deeper past this place we don't know, we're not able to ask hard questions. We get content with where we are. I'm sure Peter... In a way, he's, he's kind of good where things are, right? He was this fisherman. Now he's this trusted disciple of this prominent rabbi. That's an upgrade. And not only is this a prominent rabbi, but it's the Messiah they've been waiting for. In this place, sure, I'll die for this Messiah, but things are going to get radically different for Peter. Let's look at this in, in chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. Simon Peter and another disciple uh, were following Jesus. Because this, this, this disciple was known to the high priest, he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside the door, out, outside at the door. The other disciple who was known to the high priest came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. You aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants, officials stood around the fire they had made to keep warm. Peter also standing there with them, warming himself. Continuing in verse 25. Meanwhile, Simon Peter was still standing there warming himself. They asked, you are one of those disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. "Didn't Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it. And at that moment, a rooster began to crow. This is the section we're calling reality. 
Peter had this ignorant declaration of where you go, I will go. If I have to die, I will die for you, Jesus, because you mean that much to me. But then he's confronted with the reality. And not only is he confronted with the reality in person, he's confronted with the reality that Jesus told him was going to happen in the first place. Denies Jesus three times. And again, I don't want to be critical of Peter here. Because who's to say I wouldn't do the exact same thing in that place? Peter was a very, very good guy. We, we, we learn a lot from Peter later on. He has the best of intentions, the best of heart. But when he's confronted with the reality, things have to shift for him. I can only imagine the next few days for Peter. I can only imagine the, the questions that he asked himself. Because a few hours later, his friend, his Messiah, his rabbi is crucified in front of everybody, and he's dead. And I know Jesus told him it was going to happen, but could you imagine the inner workings of Peter's mind as he's going that night to sleep? He says, I should have done better. I should have said something different. I should have done something different in that moment. And I'm sure many of you have experienced something similar when you lose a loved one. I should have been there more. Now think of it times 100 for Peter here where he's kind of faced with this reality of Jesus told me this was going to happen and I failed. What I wish I could have done differently. The reality humbles Peter in a way that I could never have really imagined, I don't think. Because you have this overzealous disciple who is saying, yes, I will die for you. And then he's met with the reality of actually, you aren't who you thought you were, Peter. That's got to be a difficult process for Peter to get through. But thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave him in that place. Right In chapter 21, Peter's off fishing and he's kind of confronted with Jesus again. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. And then when he throws his net on the other side of the boat, he catches fish. But before he can even get his boat to shore, Peter's out there swimming to shore so that he can just talk to Jesus one more time. Right? I could imagine those feelings of, I do have a chance, I do have this opportunity to reconcile between me and Jesus, and i got to get to him first before anybody else, because i got to have a conversation with him. When I was in Israel, I was blessed with the opportunity to actually be in the place where they think this event took place. And our tour guide talked about it as being one of those situations where Peter just has to have this private conversation with Jesus before anybody else gets there, because he has to know he's okay with Jesus. And I love these words that Jesus eventually says to this Peter who's soaking wet, <laughs> who is burdened by all this guilt. This is what he says. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Do you understand what he's saying here? Peter said, I will follow you and I will die for you. And then when Peter and Jesus get to kind of get back together, Jesus says, guess what? You're right. Your faith is that strong. Eventually this is going to happen. And then he doesn't leave him in this place, right? The love you, I love you, I love you three times, right? We remember this. But then Jesus says these words to me, follow me. It's all okay. You're still with me and I am still with you. You are going to have this faith that's going to be able to do incredible things in this world. But you're going to have to do it a little bit differently than you thought. And I think all these things, from the ignorance to the reality to the reconciliation, all these things shaped Peter into that mindset he had to have in order to do the things that he did. Now he can go to Pentecost. 
right? Now this Peter can go do great things for the name of Jesus. Before he was unable to do those things. Now he's ready. And Jesus says, follow me. We are reconciled. We are good. Now go and do those things. Jesus' love and reconciliation is what brought him to Pentecost. It wasn't Peter's zeal. It wasn't his ability to speak. It's no longer the surface level uh, identification for Peter. No, this is his very existence. Change your mind to change your situation. And unfortunately for, for, you know, it's not exciting. This is not exciting to like have to go through these events, right? I don't want to say be excited for the times where your ignorance is faced with the stark reality of life. But that's exactly what has to happen sometimes in order for us to be molded into what God is guiding us to be and do, right? It's those moments where he shapes us and takes us and says, guess what? I am still with you. Abide in me and I in you. We're tying it all together this morning. Follow me, he says to Peter, and he says the exact same things to us. And so now we get this reconciliation, like I said, between Peter and Jesus. And now we finally get to these verses right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 31. Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. The most excellent way doesn't revolve around your ideas or your beliefs or your strength or your ness, you know? your jimminess, your you-ness. It revolves around the love of Jesus and his reconciliation at work in you. It's not that you're bad and it's not that you're not worthy because like, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul is very, very detail-oriented saying, some of you are really, really good at these things and you should be really excited to do those things. But if you do not do them with love, you're not really doing anything. The most excellent way has very little to do with you, but it has a lot to do with Jesus using you to do those things in this world. That is the most excellent way. Jesus working through your brokenness into this reconciliation for not only you, but for everybody else. This reconciliation is not just extended to you, it's extended to you for you to go and do to other people as well to be that reconciliation factor like we talked about in the last series. You are a reconciler on the behalf of Jesus Christ. That's something to be excited about. And the greatest thing is, it's not just on your shoulders. It's on Jesus working through you to do these things. So the, the one question that I want to kind of leave us, leave us with, like I said, this is just an intro to the series as a, as a whole that I want us to all think about. Am I due for a reality check? Right? We talked about Peter. We talked about his ignorance leading to this reality check, leading to this reconciliation. Are you due for that reality moment in your life? Are you coming here just for the sake of coming here? I want to give you a little piece of advice. You're wasting your time. Not to be too direct about it. I want you to come to church, obviously. But if you're just coming here to come here, there's much better things you can do on Sunday. There's much better things you can do on Wednesday. You could sleep in if you want to. That's not on me. <laughs> but I think there is a sense that some of us get into these routines where it's like, well, this is just something that I do. Christ is calling you to say, hey, wake up because there's a job for you to do. There's a reality in which that you are so blind to what's going on around you, you need to wake up and recognize how reconciled you are between me for you to go and do something about it. Don't just be a church 
person at this four, you know, four walls that we are sitting in this morning, right? Don't just be a church goer. Be the church. Actually do something for the sake of Christ because if you're just coming here, I promise you, there's other things you could be doing. And I don't want that to sound too harsh. I don't want that to sound like I don't want you to come to church. But there's more to this Christian life than showing up here on Sunday. So I want to encourage you all to really think about this. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is there a reality that's happening around me that I'm not aware of? Is there a mindset change that I have to go through in order for my situation to change? Is Christ calling me to do something completely different? You're not going to know that unless you ask yourself this question. Am I due for a reality check? Look around and see what's going on. Is Christ calling you to something much, much deeper? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for the life that we were able to look at today of Peter. And I know that he, he is a lot like us in so many ways, arrogant at times, ignorant at times, outspoken, puts his foot in his mouth a lot. And if that's not the basic humans that we are today, then I don't know what is. We fall short a lot, and we have all these times where we are ignorant. But God, I pray that you shine a light on our, on our ignorance. Give us these reality checks that we need. Help us to not just want to check a box by coming here on Sunday mornings, but help us to recognize that this is a part of our lives that helps us and encourages us to do other things in our lives, to be reconcilers on your behalf. But in order for us to be reconcilers on your behalf, we have to recognize that we have experienced reconciliation, that we have experienced these things that we read about and that we need to do something about them. God, help us to be doers of your work. And Jesus, let me pray. Amen. If you're here this morning and you have any needs at all, we want to offer this as a time of invitation. Um, if you have physical needs, if you have spiritual needs, whatever needs you have, if you're listening this morning, you're saying, you know what? I haven't been baptized and I'm recognizing that my reality needs to change drastically and I think I need to take him on a baptism this morning. We are willing to do that. Sean's got the baptistry ready at all times. It's always ready. But we're not here just to baptize you and to just send you off into the world. We want to baptize you. We want to have you as part of this community so that collectively we can do greater together than we could do as an individual. And so we offer this time for you to kind of lean into that community. If you need to lean into that community for strength, for encouragement, or if you want to lean into the community and say, you know what, God's doing a great work in me. Whatever it is, we want to invite you to come forward while we stand and sing.